It's a big weekend for the Griffiths family. Um, yes, or Friday, I officiated my little brother's wedding. I have a little brother. He's 17 years younger. And sir, no, it's not a funny. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real deal. <laughs> and he's the cooler, tatted version of me. And uh, if you know anything about me, we lost our mom in 2003. That puts him at 13. And he went through the roughest valley as I've ever heard of anybody going through. And second chances is what we were clinging to and celebrating on Friday. And so if I start crying, that's what that's about. We're going to study some scripture, but before we do that, let's uh, find out where we are. Okay, we're in the, the 10th week of the 10 at 10. We've been doing this sermon series on, on the 10 commandments. And today's 10 commandment is um, in Exodus, and it's... And it's on, the, it's on one of these bulletins. If you've got one of these bulletins, you can read along with that. Or if you have a Bible, it's Exodus chapter 20, verses 17. And it says this, You shall not cover your neighbor, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So you're not supposed to covet. So it's the famous, you're not supposed to covet. What's coveting? It's, it's beyond wanting what other people have. It's wanting to take away what people have. It's wanting to take away their good because you're, you have covet in your heart. Um, it's when Tommy Roberts hits a home run and I've struck out the last 20 times. I covet that guy's talent. And it's okay to be like, that guy's really good. But once it crosses over to, I hope he strikes out next time so that I can hit. That's coveting. And then overarching that, because we didn't want to talk about cheating on wives on VBS Sunday. <laughs> so we, we ran that through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus in Matthew 22, he says this. Um, this guy asks him, hey, what's the most important, what's the most important uh, Commandment if, in 22 right here. Oh, there it is. No, that wasn't it. There it is. When the Pharisees heard that he had, this is verse 22, verse 34 in chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, oh, that's right after it happened. Basically, he says, love God and love people. In other words, be like me. And that's loving people. And draw unto me. That's loving God. Be like me and love me. That's what Jesus says. And if you break down the first four commandments are all about loving God. And the second six commandments are about loving neighbor. And so this last one is, how do we love our neighbors? How do we love our neighbors in such a way as to not covet what they have? How do we love the people to the right and the people to the left without taking them down so that we can be brought up? And for that, I know that's a lot of scripture, but we did it. You see that? That was like a couple minutes. I'm proud of myself. Kara, are you proud of me? 
bam, and I'm not sweating yet. <laughs> that's a good day. Or just kick the water bottle. If I'm thirsty, that's where it is. Everybody remind me. Now we're reading that, the other Matthew one. Does somebody, I'm tired of talking. Does somebody who have a loud voice want to read that? The Matthew 6 verses something through something. Glenn, stand up and read it. Through 24. It's a little short section. Read the next verse too. And in this tradition, I say, this is the word of God and you respond to, thanks be to God. 2007-ish, I had LASIK. Well, first I was born with kind of weird, I couldn't see very far. And so I, for a long time, I couldn't see very far. Then they figured it out and they put contacts in my eyes and I could see. And then during college, I went back to the glasses because you want to nap, you know, you, you, you don't do as much sports. I didn't do as much sports. I just kind of ate and drank coffee and hung out till two in the morning for some reason. But I got tired of the glasses, got tired of the contacts. We got a big tax return in 2007, rolling in pastor money. So I went LASIK. I don't know if you know what this LASIK thing is, but it's crazy. And if you have a squeamish stomach, just uh, just cover your ears for about five hours. No, just just I'll try and make it short. You go into this office and they first they they squirt you with this stuff. They squirt this stuff in your eye, and they says, "I'm going to clamp this. I'm going to lay it down on a table. I'm going to clamp this eye open. I'm going to put more stuff in it so you can't feel." Then I'm going to use a, a knife and make a slight incision in your eye. I'm going to peel it back. That doesn't sound good, right? And then they're going to shoot this laser at it. And you're going to go. Bzz, 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 bzz. And then I'm going to do the peel. I'm going to put it back. And then I'm going to do the same thing to the other eye. And I'm like, okay, that sounds a little gutsy. I'm kind of a sissy. Don't, don't do this. Then it got really real. <laughs> then I'm laying on a table. And this guy has a blade on my face and he peels it back. And as he peels it back, it goes totally dark. And then when it's peeled back, it's just fuzzy. It's just fuzzy. And you can't even, not even light gets in. It's like all, it was just like, it was like I was in the water. It was like I was under the ocean. And then, then it smelled weird. (laughs) P.S. And then they peel it back. And for the first time, well, then they do the other eye. And he says, this one's a little more difficult because your body is like, no, don't stab me. <laughs> so you start squirming and stuff. He says, do you? so you stab it. And he's like, hold still, Jason. I'm like, no, I don't want to be stabbed. But anyway, they do both eyes. But then I sit up. And for the first time, without any assistance from glasses or contacts, I see across the room and I see the time on the wall. And the first thought was, I want to give this to every, I want to steal this machine and go to third world countries and just start 
slicing people's eyes and, and fixing them. Because the difference between sight and not is so huge. The eye is so amazing. In Darwin's Origin of Species, this is the way he says about the eye. He says this. It's a kind of a footnote in the middle of his book. He says, organs of extreme perfection and complication. To suppose that the eye, with, with all its imitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and the corrections of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. It seems absurd in the highest. I'll translate that into English. I could barely read some of those words. But he says, if you look at the eye, it's the, like we still can't make lenses like the eye. My dad has a PhD in nuclear engineering, and we can't even touch how amazing our eyes are designed. I, you can't. I focus on this. I can see welcome. Boom. Gary Roberts' eyes. <laughs> Boom. Tommy smiling. You know, you can focus. There's, there's so many things to adjusting light, to adjusting distance. It's, and it's less than milliseconds. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. And Darwin's like, I, I got this good theory, but it's got a major hiccup. Because we can't even touch the human eye. It would, and he goes on to explain, it would mean that as humans, we would have to be, go around for a little while without seeing. For us to evolve into having these eyes that could do all this stuff. He hadn't really worked out the kinks. And I think he still hasn't, but... The eye is amazing. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's just gathered all these people and he says this stuff. He says, first, you thought it's about going to church and about doing the right thing. And it's about, you thought it was about being at the right place at the right time. That religion about being with me was about doing a checklist. Don't do this, do this. In the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, that's not anything what it's about. It's actually about your heart. I don't even care what you're doing. I care why you're doing it. I care about your heart. I care about what you believe. And so he, he, he backtracks and he throws the, this, he, he throws the Ten Commandments upside down. And he says, first, before you start doing any of this, you need to know that you are loved. You need to start there. And then once you have got a, like a little bit of a grasp of that. You start to formulate beliefs. You start to believe that God. We believe in a God that gives us second chances. And second chances. He gives us grace upon grace. Mercy upon mercy. And you start changing your beliefs. And then. He moves, and this is where in the in in the in his sermon, this is where he changes from beliefs and heart into goals. Listen to what Calvin wrote about this this passage. He says this: the lamp of one's life 
is one's goal. If your goal is sound, your whole life will be luminous. But if your goal is wrong, your life will be darkness. The eye is the lamp to the soul. We need, Jesus is saying our goal should be to focus our eyes, to focus our lamps on the worthy goal. Goals determine life. Goals determine life. Jesus doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants your beliefs. And then he wants your goals. He wants your goals to be focused on life and life eternal. Have you ever read C.S. Lewis's uh, screw tape letters? No. Okay. Mark Eaton has, but he's written books. So he's off. He's in a different category. But screw tape letters is C.S. Lewis. He's, he's writing between these demons. It's that he, he said it was the hardest book he ever wrote because he got into this character of this demon, screw tape. And the screw tape, this demon named screw tape is writing letters to lower demons. And he said it just gave him nightmares and it was, it was just horrible. It was hard for him to write. But screw tape writes this. He says, our business, this is the, the demon. So it maybe has a... Th- Our business is to get them away from the eternal. Our business is to get their eyes off of eternal things, off of kingdom things, off of things that matter. Jesus says your goals shouldn't be having your eyes set down. Your goals should be eternal goals. Your goals should be making sure your children love Jesus every day of their life. Your goals should be making sure that the hungry people get some of your food. Your goals should be caring about your character. Your goals should be next time you're kicked in the shin, not to cuss, but to cling to Jesus. I'm working on that one, right, Richard? Okay, because he knows me. I cuss a lot. There's the whole sermons about that. Then in verse 24, Jesus says this. He just says a truth. You cannot serve money and God. You know, like sometimes, sometimes Jesus is like challenging us to do stuff. Some of, sometimes he's comforting us. This is a time where Jesus is just telling us something. You, it's a truth. If you love God, You cannot love money. If you love money, you cannot love God. And actually, notice the word. It's not love, it's serve. Because you can, you can, it's not, you don't feel guilty about having money. Because most of us in this room, we have a lot of money compared to the world. Don't feel guilty about having money. It's about serving money. What's that famous quote? Money makes a 
a great employee, but a horrible boss, right? This is what Wesley says about that. He says, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. I like even better G.K. Chesterton. Anybody know about G.K. Chesterton? Malia's looking at me. She's saying way too many quotes. I can see it in her eyes. <laughs> She's like, seriously, stop quoting. But G.K. Chesterton, the guy was like seven feet tall and wore a cape. I got to quote that guy. He's huge. He's awesome. And he walks around with a cape. Anybody with a cape is cooler than you. Okay? That's just a rule. But G.K. Chesterton says this. There are two ways to have enough money. One is to acquire more. The other is to, to desire less. Two ways to have enough money. One is to acquire more. The other is to desire less. My original sermon title was Angel Eyes. My challenge to you this morning. With your eyes. Soak in good things. My little daughter, Elsie, she takes my wife's phone and she takes 200 to 300 pictures a day and videos. One time there was like six videos of her going, ah, woo, ee. it was awesome. <laughs> we take the phone away and we say, take mental pictures, else. Take snapshots with your eyes. Take it in. And I'm challenging us, taking good things. There's tons of filth to take in. Cut that stuff out. End of that. End of that challenge. Cut the filth out, taking good things. Fill your soul with light. And then the second, I had two titles. And what's the title that is want what you have? Angel eyes and want what you have. Tell your kids the stories behind the things. Things aren't bad. Like on Friday, my, uh, my little brother um, married the beautiful girl, Jamie. Uh, his wedding ring was the wedding ring that my mom gave him in 1971, February 12th. And that ring, that ring encapsulates a woman of God, my mom. It encapsulates my dad at his best. It has all this stuff in it. And when I just see the ring, I'm just like, wow, it has all that meaning. So don't stop with just the story don't stop the story until it gets back to God. God brought my mom and my dad together. God is to be praised for redeeming them. God is to be praised for bringing my, my little brother through these valleys and into that sanctuary on Friday. And now united with Jamie. Jamie. 
get good. I know that's horrible English. Get well, get get better. Steve Todd, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> get better at giving stuff away. I think Jesus, he, he, he's trying to save us from being spiritually schizophrenic. He says, in your goals, you can't, you can't serve God and you can't serve money at the same time. A good way to get yourself better at not loving money and things is to give money and things away. Who in here has experienced the true life that happens when, when, that, when you do that? I know Michelle Carter has. She put a little hand up. But ask her about it after the service. How she's found joy in real life in giving things. I have a friend, Susan Rigby. She lives down in Fullerton. She, would, she looked at her house and she took things one by one into the garage. And if she didn't use them within a month, she would give them away. My aunt says, if you have something and you're not, you're not using it, it's someone else's. Anyway, I didn't finish the Susan Rigby part, but she give it away. You go around her house. One of the rooms is ridiculous. It's got a chair in it. That's it. <laughs> she's like, she, I just sat in that chair. That's all. I didn't look at the paintings. I didn't look at anything else. I got a chair in there and a light. I think it's awesome. We're about to hear a cover of a song by the Rolling Stones. And you might say, what, what's that about? In this song, I think there's a, there's a hymn that in God, God shines in all that's fair. There's goodness and truth in the midst of this song that is what Jesus is talking about. Keep eternal things filling your lamps, filling your souls. Get better at giving stuff away. Let's hear of a song or reflection. Isn't that what we do?